Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. We are in our second week of Christmas cheer. It's hard to have hope when life seems out of control. Real hope is not found in our circumstances, self-help, or positive thinking. Real hope is found in the person and promises of Jesus. This week, Pastor Andy unpacks what biblical hope is all about and how you can have it define your life. Enjoy the message. We are again in our second week of Christmas cheer. And last week we talked about how to have uh, rising hope in the sense of how not to have a critical spirit, right? How to, how to have, uh, not have a critical spirit. And not to have a critical spirit, you need to have joy. You need to have joy in the Lord. Now, joy is different than being happy. Happy is momentary. You can find happiness in your day. You can find happiness in things that are going on in life, but that might come and go. But joy is a state of being. Joy is a state of being. Joy radiates. But you know what else radiates? Bitterness radiates. If you don't have joy, you most likely have something that you're upset about or that you're bitter about. And you can't have both. So last week I encouraged you to find your joy in the Lord no matter your circumstances. And the way to practice that was to encourage people. Now I gave you an assignment last week, all right? So let's see how we did. I told you that you needed to write a, do it an act of encouragement or write a letter of encouragement or bake some cookies for someone in the world, in the church, right? Did, did you do that? Huh? Did, did some of you do that? Now some of you raised your hand. Yeah, of course I did that, right? I know some of you did that because I'm like, oh man, you can't believe how I was blessed this week, right? But if some of you are like, I haven't done that yet, I'm gonna give you an extension, all right? So this week, encourage somebody in your neighborhood, your workplace, someone in the world, and encourage somebody in the church. Some of you are like, well, I'm just not gonna do that. And you know, that just sounds cheesy. Knock it off, all right? Knock it off right now, all right? You, you, you don't withhold an encouragement to somebody else. Don't be like, mm, that's called bitterness. Knock it off. All right, anyway, we don't have time for that. All right, so... Be encouraging, don't be that person, all right? And you have a weak extension to encourage somebody. So we talked about how not to have a critical spirit, not to have a spirit that is critical, and that is to find joy in the Lord. This week, part two, we're gonna talk about how to have a spirit of rising hope, how to have a spirit of rising hope. And when you have joy, you're able to experience hope. Now, there, I remember there was this skit on, a late, on the late night talk shows, and then all, the youth groups borrowed it, and the church conferences started borrowing it, borrowing it. It was a skit called Will It Float? Anybody remember that? Will It Float? And uh, basically, they'd fill up a pool, and they'd ask the audience, do you think this particular item will float or sink? And people would take their guess, and they'd dump it in the pool, and if it would float or sink, if you were correct, you'd win. Pretty simple. And so people would put in Velveeta cheese, and Velveeta cheese, do you think it sunk or float? Huh? It, it, it actually sunk. Uh, a fire extinguisher. They put a fire extinguisher, a fire extinguisher in. Did you think that sunk or do you think that floated? It sunk, right? Uh, what about an eight-pound bowling ball, right? That actually floated. Can you believe that? And then what about a full suitcase? Sink or float? It floated, right? And, and, and what's fun about this is you think you know what's going to rise to the top and what's going to sink to the bottom, and you never really know what's going to happen. And it's not just random, it's not just magic, There's, it's actually basic physics, all right? I don't know, some of you may have taken physics before, some of you might not, but here is the reason why some things float and some things sink. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Uh, here's the physics. It's when the upward force acting on an object in liquid is greater than the downward force of gravity. I'll say that again. When the upward force acting on the object in liquid is greater than the downward force of gravity, that allows something to float. If the upward force is, is not greater, then it will sink, all right? Pretty easy physics here. And you could probably apply this to life. In life, you will have hope uh, if the upward force 
is pushing you up against the downward forces of your daily stress, of your daily adversity, of your daily whatever that is, that is making you down and that's making you sad. If things are pressing upon you today, you got to know that you will not feel hope if that upward force is not counteracting that and overcoming that. And so when the downward force is greater than the upward force, when it's greater, it's called that you're sinking, that you're drowning. When someone says they're drowning in life, is that ever positive? Is it? No, of course not. And what's it mean when someone says they're drowning? Well, it means that something's not going good in life, whether it be their marriage or whether it be in their relationships. Maybe they bombed a test at, at school. Maybe they didn't get the promotion or they, there's something's going on at work or, or they, they, they can't stand work. They, can't, they dread going uh, to work because they know that people are gossiping about them or maybe they're the people gossiping. There are many things in life that may make you feel like you're drowning. Maybe you lost a family member. Maybe that this season you just can't think straight. And you just don't know how you're going to get above water. Oh, you were treading water for a while and you're doing fine. But listen, you can only tread water for a bit. You can only do the back float and the survival float for a bit. You don't, know, you don't need to know how to swim, by the way, to do the survival float. Did you know that? That's why they call it the survival float. You just kind of wait there and hope that someone rescues you. But if no one comes to rescue you, guess what happens? You begin to sink. And so what is that upward motion that prevents us from drowning? It's hope in the Lord. And my question to you this morning is this, do you have rising levels of hope or do you feel like you're drowning? Answer that. It may be the reason why some of you might not have encouraged somebody last week is because you feel like you don't have any encouragement left in you. But I want you to know it has nothing to do about you. You do not find hope in yourself. In order to have the upward motion to counteract the downward pressures of life, you must find hope in the Lord. And if there's anybody in the Bible, by the way, the Bible has a lot to say about hope. Some of you might think like, ah, hope, that just sounds cheesy. No, it's biblical, uh, all right? But if anybody had a tough time, uh, would have a tough time having hope, I would say it would have been the Apostle Paul. Paul went through it all. In fact, we see some of uh, the reasons why he should uh, uh, feel maybe depressed or discouraged uh, because there was so much downward pressure in his life. We see this captured in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 specifically. I'll put it on the screen. It says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. That means they were throwing stones at him, not something else, all right? Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. He goes on. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, verse 27. Dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, I've labored and I've toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger, thirst, and I've gone without food. I have been cold and without clothing. That's some downward pressure, isn't it? He experienced it all. You would think the Apostle Paul would be the most depressing books, most depressing letters you can read in all Scripture, but actually just prior to the passage I just read to you is the attitude that he holds on to amongst all the downward pressure that is going upon his life. And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. This is his attitude towards, towards the downward pressure. He says this, We are afflicted in every way, 
but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We are always carrying the death of Jesus in our body. Here it is, so that the life of Jesus may be displayed in our body. Did you get that? There can be so many downward pressures in life. And the question isn't if, uh, you know, if downward pressure happens in your life. It's, it's when. When the downward pressure happens in your life, how are you going to react? Will you sink or will you float? I'm going to tell you, in your own experience, in your own power, in your own strength, you will float like the Velveeta cheese and like the fire extinguisher. Why? Because we don't have what it takes to face the downward pressures in the totality of our life. We need something so powerful, so mighty to push us up. And it's what Paul found. And it's the reason why from, an, from the outside eye, they might be like, man, this guy, he's been through so much, but he's saying, no, 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 no. I can withstand the pressures of life. And even though it looks like my body's taking a beating, I want you to know the reason why I stand here isn't because I'm strong, isn't because I'm smart, isn't because I, I have it all together, it's because I have the Holy Spirit, it's because I have Jesus Christ in my life who's able to lift me up when I should otherwise be sinking. That's what the hope in the Lord does. And that's the hope that we need this morning. In fact, this is our main point this morning. Biblical hope desires and expects a better future. Biblical hope desires and expects a better future. This isn't, by the way, this isn't some name or claim it theology. Like, I think it, therefore it is. That's not where I'm going with this. It's not about you. Is about finding everything in Christ. And in Christ, biblical hope desires and expects a better future. And, we, and when you receive Christ, you have everything you need to keep you buoyant. Everything you need to keep you from sinking. I'm not saying that the pressures will stop. Some of them might. Uh, he may deliver you from some things. But despite what happens with the pressures, you take your eye off the pressures, you put them on him, and you begin to float. Biblical hope desires and expects a better future. And when you have hope, it sets your sights on what could be, not what is. It repositions your mind, your actions. It changes how you treat people because you have room to breathe. Hope gives you room to breathe. And you know what happens when you have room to breathe? You're able to say hello to people. You're able to engage in conversation. Your mind not be somewhere. You're able to rejoice with people when they have victory. It releases you from being in competition and comparing yourself towards others because you realize their hope and your hope should be in the same place. Three characteristics of biblical hope this morning that we're going to go over. Three characteristics. Let's take a look at the first one. Hope looks forward to the future. Write that down if you're taking notes. Hope looks forward to the future. And to look forward in our future, we're actually going to go back to the very beginning of time. So I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1 in your Bibles or your app. The words will be on the screen if you're a guest with us today. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. 
So John, in his gospel, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John goes back to the furthest of all the gospels when it, when it comes to the beginning of the story. He goes back to the beginning. In fact, he uses the same phrase that you'll find in the first book of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What we see in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Now, I know that people debate the origins of the universe. I mean, even sometimes Christians debate the smaller things, like, okay, how old's the earth? Were there dinosaurs on the ark? What about these? I'm like, okay, go ahead and debate that. But one thing that we can't debate is this. Our universe is not an accident. Our universe was created by the Lord God Almighty, and this is how he created it. He spoke, and boom, it happened, right? When he spoke, just boom, something happened, right? He created something, everything, out of nothing, right? That's what we can't debate. That's what we see here. But I want you to see something absolutely amazing in the text this morning. Look at this. Don't miss this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, now what this doesn't say in the Bible this morning is, in the beginning, God was created. No, it says, in the beginning, was. Was. We have the very Word that speaks creation, but we see the very Word is God himself. God was, which means God wasn't created. That means that God has always existed. Let this blow your mind just a little bit. Our God, our creator God of the heavens and the earth, the one who gives you the hope today to help you rise up from the circumstances that you're facing, He's above time. He was never created. He has always been in eternity past, and he always will be in eternity future. He is above time. He hovers above time. He's timeless, which means when he gives a promise, you can guarantee that it's not going to change. It's, it's, now we can kind of maybe see with the, just a bit of a glimpse when the Bible says that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We realize it's because he's above time. He's timeless. His promises, therefore, will never change. And all things were created through him. God is the creator of all things, which means everything that you see in the expanses of the universe, he spoke and boom, it was created. The Bible says that he knows every star and where they are. He he has named them and not one of them is missing. He says that he knows every hair that's on your head. He says that you were created fearfully and wonderfully in your mother's womb, which means this universe is not an accident, which means, oh man, this, this gets me so stoked and we just take it for granted. You are not an accident. The reason why you can have hope today is you're here on purpose. You're not an accident. Your life that you walk through in this life may be difficult. It may be easy, maybe somewhere in between, but I want you to know that no matter where you find yourself in your circumstances, you are here on purpose. And because you're here on purpose, oh, he has a purpose for you, and he wants you to realize that purpose with a rising level of hope. This world was created good. But the first human beings rebelled, Adam and Eve. They rebelled against the Lord God Almighty, and because of that, sin reverberated all throughout the universe. It it reverberated all throughout this world. And it doesn't take but a second to see the effects of sin. Some some people debate today, or is there really evil in the world? Are you serious? Just look at it, right? Whether it be just cosmological problems, right? When when sin entered the world, we saw destruction uh, from a cosmological standpoint, right? I mean, just look at a few days ago, the tornado that went through four states 
Over 200 miles. I'm, I'm a meteorology geek, right? For some of you know this, that's what I was going to go into before I was a pastor. And the record for a tornado was in 1925 when about 270 miles went through three states. Just two days ago, a tornado went through four states, and we're thinking 250 plus miles. They thought it an unbreakable record, and it's tragic. And it's a reminder to us, this world was created good, but it's been corrupted. And we see the corruption, not only in the cosmos, but in our relationships, our broken friendships, our broken family. Every funeral we go to and we say goodbye to a loved one, we should stand and we, we will feel this. It shouldn't be this way, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't have been this way. That's not the way God created it. He created it to be good, but we rebelled and sin entered this whole world, this whole universe but we have a promise already, verse five. Yet in him was life, and life was the light of men. The world was created good, but through the disobedience of the world, we broke it. <laughs> and yet the promises of God is that he wants to provide his goodness and give you a second chance. We serve a second chance God. Isn't that amazing? That we were like, he could have easily been like, all right, prove yourself. You're not going to be able to prove yourself. You're done. And you can, you, can, you can be so tired out by religion. And maybe you have been tired out by religion. Maybe you have been tired out by, by trying to prove yourself to the Lord God Almighty. And that's not why God came. To tire you, he came to free you. Verse 5, that the light shines in the darkness. And yet the darkness did not overcome it. Light that shines in darkness. Notice this. He created the world, the world went awry, and yet Jesus, the setup to the story of Jesus is this. He provides life in light. Light shines in darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it, which is so key here. We, we don't live in a dualistic world of, okay, who's going to win, the, the light or the dark? The reason why they use the light and dark metaphors to show you that there's not even a chance for the enemy. God is so victorious, all he has to do is show up. When the light shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. Let me demonstrate this. All right, let's kill the lights up here, all right? Let's kill the lights, all right? So I know we have the sun out there. Ignore the sun for a second, all right? But here's the deal. I don't know what's going on in your life, uh, but when things are dark, the way that you cut the darkness is all you have to do is turn on a light, right? All you have to do, let me shine this on everybody on Kenosha.Church, hello, all right? All you have to do is shine a light and it cuts through the darkness. Now, this is a pretty you know, powerful handheld um, uh, flashlight, so I'm not trying try not to shine it uh, in anybody's eyes. Uh, but did you know that even a light, uh, even a, a dim light, like a candle, can be seen for, with the naked eye for over a mile? Light cuts through the darkness. That when the light shows up, the darkness doesn't stand a chance. I want you to know this. There are a lot of dark things that can happen in our life this morning. There are a lot of dark things that we've experienced in our life in the past or maybe even the present. And oftentimes we try to go by it by ourselves. But when the blind lead the blind, what's the Bible say? They fall into a pit, right? But when you when you beckon the Lord, when you pray to the Lord, when you say, Lord, I want you to step into my life. I want you to forgive me my sins. I want to follow you with all of my life. I want to give you every area that I feel insecure, every area that I'm desperate, every area of my life. You are shining the light of the Lord. The hope of the Lord begins to cut through the darkness. What is the darkness in your life this morning? Shine the light because what happens is this. Oh, I love this. Darkness can't overcome it. When the light shows up, darkness dies. Darkness dies in the light, church. 
Seek the Lord with all your heart. Where you've given up and where you've lost hope, say, Lord, I need your light this morning. Where do you need it? Where do you need that light? Where's darkness overcoming in your life? Where are you drowning? Seek the light of his truth, of his spirit, in his power. Not by your own strength, because when you do it in your own strength, you'll, you'll do good for a little bit. You'll bounce from thing to thing to thing to try to find that hope. But you'll end up being a person that begins to sulk in your pain. And listen, I know that some of this stuff, you did it to yourself, and some of this stuff, you didn't. Somebody did it to you, or, you'd be, or you had a circumstance that you never saw coming, and, and you're reeling through it this morning. And I'm not saying that you have to be happy about that. Not at all. It's, there's many devastating things that happen in our life, and, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's downward pressure, and downward pressure uh, depresses our hearts. But you weren't meant to go through those things alone. You weren't meant to go through those things in your own strength and to have it all figured out. You won't have it figured out. So for those of you this morning that come here with broken hearted, I want you to know the Lord God Almighty sees it. He knows everything that you're going through. And he wants to walk with you through it. John chapter 1 verse 10. He was in the world and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and the own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Our hope has been Jesus all along. Hope is forward-looking. It looks forward, but I want you to know as you're looking forward, God's been doing a lot of the prep work. He's been, the, he's been doing the prep work from eternity past. Our hope is in Jesus. It's been in Jesus all along. Our hope is in him alone. And when we look ahead, uh, we, can have, we can desire and we can expect that better days are ahead or that God will walk us through the hard days that we're experiencing now. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, this is what happens, that your pain, that your past, that the predicaments that you find yourself through no longer are your definition Christ is your definition his spirit empowers you to look forward and leave behind your failures your bitterness your insecurity your mistakes because he died on the cross for your sins that's how he frees you you know Jesus didn't come just to be some inspirational guru that's what we've made him into right the inspirational guru, like, you know, I'm just going to quote Jesus right now. You might not even be quoting Jesus, but it sounds good, right? Jesus didn't come to be an add-on to your life. He didn't come to, to make your life earthly prosperous, per se. He came to your life to set you free from your spiritual death. He came to set you free to, to give you new life. Because of his death on the cross and his resurrection, you can live a life of hope. Because your sins are remembered no more. That's the biggest thing. Our sins are remembered no more. And you're no no longer as a result living for the moment, but for eternity that supersedes time. Scripture says this, that, that our pain is for but a moment. But a moment. Think about that. Of all eternity that you can experience, a moment is just a snap, a flash in the pan. You're like, oh, Andy, you just, you just, trivialize what I'm going through. No, 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 I'm not. I'm trying to put it in the expanses of eternity, which means the deep pain that you're feeling right now, the deep disappointment, the questions of God, why, why is this happening? You can be rest assured that even though you're feeling this pain now, when you find your hope in eternity, it will so supersede 
what you're feeling right now, because right now, this, the seconds, 80 years, 90 years, if you're lucky, is really small compared to eternity where there's no more tears and no more suffering. Amen? Hope looks forward to the future. Secondly, hope ignites. Hope ignites every day grace. Ignites. Interestingly enough, I had to talk about igniting because uh, our oven in our kitchen, our bottom oven, decided to uh, break. Turns out the igniter is broken in our oven, which means this. All the gas is going to the oven, but none of the gas is being ignited so that it could heat the oven. So everything is there, right? Everything is there to provide the energy for the oven to work, but it's not being ignited to actually work. And so Jesus, all throughout history, he gave promises. He says he's gonna be the light of the world. He says that he's gonna bring new life to those that are in him, right? But what does he have to do for that to happen? He has to do something about it. We can't do something about it. Uh, we, if, you, if without Christ, without a savior, we're dead in our sins. Religion tries to tell you that you can do it yourself, that you can, you can pull yourself up, uh, that somehow you can prove yourself to God. But listen, God's standard is perfection. And not one of us is perfect, are we? Not one of us, which means we need a solution. And the solution was this. The ignition to the promises of God is not found in us. It's not found in the gritting of our teeth and trying to do good for God and hopefully he'll notice us. No, it's in Jesus Christ himself. God had to ignite, which initiated his promises. John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, and glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only Son, who himself God is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Hope from God is not some theory. It's not some feel-good phrase that you buy at the Hobby Lobby. It's not something that we do when it's just a latch-ditch ditch effort of hopefully this will happen. Hope is found in Jesus Christ, and, and, and God had to come and be among us to initiate, to ignite these promises. God came to be the Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus came in the manger, the, promise, the prophecies and the promises foretold that, that were hundreds and some of them were thousands of years prior were ignited. When the God-man came down to this earth, it's called theologically what's called the incarnation. It is where God took on human flesh with a divine nature and he dwelled among us. Now our God, to blow your mind even further, he's a, we worship a triune God. It's called the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, yet one God. Three persons, yet one God. But like, that doesn't make sense, I know. You know what that shows? That we have three persons, yet one God? It shows that our God is so huge. It shows that our mind just kind of, just kind of freezes, right? It's like, I don't even know what to think about. I can't fathom that. And that's why theologians have been trying to explain for centuries and millennia, the three persons, yet one God. It blows our mind. It's not discouraging. Some people get discouraged when they can't explain everything about God. But I want to say that's actually quite encouraging. We can never exhaust what we can know about God because he's infinite. No, we have finite minds. We have a Trinitarian God, and God the Son came to indwelt the incarnation 
with us. Fully God, fully human. 100% human, 100% God. How's that math work? That's another thing that blows our mind. With God, he blows up math. He's a miraculous God. He defies physics. And yet, 100% human, 100% God, the God-man, and he lived completely sinless, a completely sinless life. Uh, his human nature meant that he could feel emotions. He would get tired, he'd get hungry, he'd even cry. His divine nature was one that was out of this world. He said when two or more gathered, there he is. Uh, he, he talked about, being, or he demonstrated miracles at will. And he spoke about that he was gonna be the savior of the world. He was more than human. That's why the Pharisees, the religious people, wanted to kill him. They realized, oh man, he's just, they thought he was just a human being. Ah, this Jesus is talking like he's God. It's because he was, because he is. Fully God and fully human. It was a wonderful Divine miracle, another theological term, it's bonus. You can put this in the footnotes of your notes. It's called a hypostatic union. The hypostatic union being 100% man, 100% human. And 100% God, 100% human. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace. Jesus is full of truth. Such an important phrase. Because we as human beings tend to land on one area, full of truth or full of grace. Well, which one should he have? We're gonna be a church of grace, which means what? Truth doesn't matter. People don't really say this, but this is what they mean, right? We're, gonna, we're just gonna you know, love everybody despite what their views are and it doesn't matter what your view is because I could be wrong, you could be wrong, right? Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya, right? No, you don't wanna be that. But the people that are truth is, well, this is true. And you're wrong. Get out of my face. I'm right, right? We don't want about either of those. By themselves, it can get quite ugly. But Jesus is the embodiment full of grace and full of truth. Grace is another word for unmerited divine favor. God wants to show favor, unmerited favor in your life. And you receive this when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. But you can't have grace if you don't have truth. You can't receive the grace of Jesus if you're gonna to try to find the grace of Jesus in Buddha or some other world religion. You can only find it in the truth of what Jesus said, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No person can come to the Father except through me, is what Jesus said. So truth describes that there's no deception in Christ and he's the only way. Therefore, Jesus is not for our own, up for our own interpretation. We don't get to say, well, you know, my Jesus won't talk that way. You know, you heard it sometimes. Or, you know, my Jesus would say it this way. Or, you know, that's not the Jesus I know. Well, the only Jesus we should know should be the Jesus that is described in the pages of the Holy, pages of the Holy Scripture, amen? The only Jesus that we should follow is a Jesus that doesn't contradict what he's given us by his word. It's by his mercy. It's by his kindness that we can know God through the ages through his inspired word. It's by his kindness that we can begin to commune with the spirit of God that comes to indwell you when you place your faith and trust in Jesus so that you can know the power of God. But the spirit of God will never contradict the word of God. So it's not about who I think Jesus is. It's who was and is Jesus. And I want to follow him. Not Jesus, follow whatever I want to make him. 
So he's full of grace. He's full of truth. You can't receive the grace if you don't submit yourself to the truth of how to receive that grace. He died on the cross to save you from your sins. He rose from the dead. The Bible says if you place your faith and trust in him alone, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. When you believe upon Jesus Christ, you receive freely his grace. His, your undeserved favor from the Lord comes upon you. You are forgiven of your sins, and you begin to live a new life because you are what the Bible says, born again. And when you receive grace, boom, the hope of Jesus comes alive in your life. And what I love about verse 16, let's read this again. It says, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. Verse 16 is such an incredible verse. I hope that you would underline it. I hope that you will circle it. I hope you'll memorize it. Because when you receive salvation in Jesus Christ, the hope of grace can never be extinguished. No matter what you're facing, he has grace for you in that moment. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace, no matter what happens uh, to you in your marriage. Grace upon grace, no matter what happens to you uh, at your job. Grace upon grace, when you lose a loved one. Grace upon grace, when you're facing that addiction. Grace upon grace, when you're facing that temptation. Grace upon grace, when you fall and you sin. Grace upon grace, when you don't know where to begin. Grace upon grace, you want to know why? Because it, not, it doesn't come from you, it comes from the full of the Lord God Almighty. Grace upon grace. When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, when you believe on his name, you receive his grace upon grace upon grace to get you through this entire life and for you to dispense grace to others. Amen? We're to be people of grace. It's hard sometimes to press on even hearing that. We need encouragement. I ran a 5K on accident uh, the other day. Uh, I've been doing some running, and I, I run with uh, Luis Hernandez. Some of you might know him. It turns out, I, it freaked me out, but he used to be like a professional soccer player when he lived in the Dominican Republic. So it's like, are you sure you want to run with me? So anyway, you know, I, I turned 40 this year, and I was like, you know what? I need to, like, do something about that, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm, I think I'm going to start running uh, more, more frequently. So... Yeah, so I started, we started running in the neighborhood, and we got cold. We started running in the church here, and, you know, we were like, okay, if we run back from here all the way to the gym, and, you know, I got the Strava app, and don't look at it. It's embarrassing. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so the other day, I, I, I ran a, a, a 5K. I've never done that in my life. I thought, wow, yay me, right? That's crazy. But you know what? I would have never, ever done that if Lewis wasn't there with me. I'd have given up. Lewis sends me a text at 5 in the morning. He's like, hey, we running? And everything in me is like, yeah, I'm sleeping, all right? I'm not getting up. And he's like, bro, pastor, you told me you were going to be there. I'm like, oh, boy, he's calling the pastor card on me. I can't lie to him. All right, I'll be there. I'll be there. And so I show up, and we begin to run. I'm telling you, I'm looking at the Strava app. as an app that measures your running and how fast you're going and how far you've gone. And when I'm at 0.75, I just want to give up. I'm like, all right, 0 0.75, 0 0.8, 0 0.9. All right, hey, Lewis, I don't think I could take it. He's like, come on, pastor, come on. This, he calls me pastor. I'm like, my, name, my name's Andy, but you can call me that, but whatever. Uh, so, but, but he's like, come on, pastor, keep running. 
don't stop, keep going. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll keep going. And as I'm going, as I'm huffing and puffing, what ends up happening is there's a point where I begin to forget that I'm running or how far I've run, and all of a sudden, I've hit two miles, and all of a sudden, we hit three miles, and all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, what's a 5K? Holy cow, I just ran a 5K today. Wow, thank you, Lewis. He goes, no, you didn't. It's like, no, you did it. We went, went back and forth. Like, Here's the deal, what's awesome about that. He encouraged me where I'd otherwise have given up. And it's easy to say, hey, you have grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. But the reason why I've been saying for so long here we need to encourage one another is because by ourselves, even with the proper knowledge, you won't ignite the promises that are yours already. You need somebody else to help you, remind you, and to say, come on, let's keep going. Please keep going. What are you doing? Oh, you, you, you fell down. Let me help you up. Let's keep going. The eye and the prize is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's keep running. And you want to know something even better than a running partner in life. And listen, it's great when people are able to encourage you, but you want to know who's running with you even when you know know it or not it's the lord the lord is running with you in life you are not alone you are not alone god is running beside you and giving you the power to press through and to hold on to the promises he's given you and it gives you hope but when someone's there not to whisper or, or encourage you there goes the encourage you when someone's not there to well, remind you that God's encouraging you in his spirit, we give up. And when giving up becomes a lifestyle, you begin to live a lifestyle of discouragement. Can we admit we've been there before? A lifestyle of discouragement? The reason why so many of us is depleted on hope and we're living a lifestyle of discouragement is because we're stuck on our past of, I wish I didn't, I wish I could, I wish it, that didn't happen, how could they, why? So are you looking backward or are you leaning forward and are you letting the Holy Spirit ignite in you hope that's to flow through you. But when you find hope in Jesus, when you remember that your sins have been forgiven, when you remember that you're a child of God, when you remember that you have grace upon grace upon grace, his favor upon favor upon favor upon your life, you begin to live life not trying to be perfect, but live life remembering you've been redeemed. Verse 16, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace for his fullness, grace upon grace. When the hope of Christ rules your mind, it affects, it affects positively how you treat people, your family, your spouse, your finances. You begin to see God, that he is a miracle-working God, and even when things don't get better, and listen, I, I would love to tell you that, hey, when you begin to follow Jesus, everything will get better. All your temptations will be good. Every, all healings will happen in your life, and God can do that. I don't want to discount that. He said that if you have a, a seed the size of a mustard seed, right? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. I actually believe that. I'm waiting for the Rocky Mountain range to move. Someone's like, I just want God to demonstrate power. I believe he can do that. I really do. But you know what? Sometimes that doesn't happen in God's mercy or in God's foreknowledge. Uh, we don't know why those things happen, but the thing is he gives you the grace. Just as when Paul cried out to the Lord, Lord, I pray that you remove this thorn from the flesh. Some people think it was epilepsy. Uh, others believe it may have been the sin of coveting. He asked God three times and he said, my grace is sufficient for you. So whether my, your circumstances change by miracles or whether your circumstances tarry on, you have the grace, you have the power, you have the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to persevere through it, to grow through it, to become strong through it. Hope ignites everyday grace. Third thing, hope contributes toward eternal impact. Colossians 1, verse 3. 
Paul speaking to a church, very much being persecuted as he was. He says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. And it is, here it is, bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it is among you since the day you heard it and came truly to appreciate God's grace. What he's saying is this. What we do, the disposition of life that we have, it spreads. It spreads. When my mom was, had to go through a, a divorce, when my dad, who is now right with the Lord, but, but there's a damage trail behind, he left my mom. And my mom was, the, the life was pressing down on her. Every phone call, you could ask Allison, I was just depleted for a day. You kind of catch what people are given, right? Now, I'm not to say to ignore your feelings or you know, put on a happy face when you're talking to somebody. It's just that we radiate, right? We radiate. And we have a choice what to do with how we're feeling. I'm not saying ignore or lie about how you're feeling, but we have a choice to do something about how we're feeling. We can either believe it, that we're hopeless and that there's no hopeful situation, or we can believe that even despite us feeling down, depressed, crushed, that we have hope for the Lord that he's at work. So I'm not talking about you burying and denying what you're feeling. You can feel down but still have hope. And when you're not hopeful, you will miss seeing the best of what could be or the best of what God is already doing. And what he saw in the Colossians church, and the, the church of Colossae that was very much being persecuted, he was encouraged to see that fruit was happening. The works of God was increasing amongst them. He says, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, when you know your inheritance is on reserved for you in heaven, you will never think of yourself poor, right? Notice that. Reserved for you in heaven. They, they, they knew that their hope was theirs in heaven. They knew that even their circumstances here might seem like the opposite of heaven. They know that if they place their faith and trust in Jesus, their hope is reserved for them in heaven. That's what gets you through situations. It's when everything's been taken away from you. It's when that thing that meant so much to you is gone. The one thing that's not is the hope that's on reserve for you in heaven. Years ago, I had someone come up to me after a message and they said, Andy, you know, you're just, you're just so optimistic. You're just, you know, glass half full. I love it. That's not me. And uh, you just keep being you. I thought, oh, and I took it as a compliment. It's like, oh, great. And, and I had just given a message years ago. And I, our church was like 105 years old or something at that time. We're 115 now. And, and, I, said, uh, and I, I said, hey, you know, I believe God wants to use this church. He wants to breathe new life in this church. And someone came up to me and just completely, he said some nice things. But I realized, oh, wait, they don't believe it. He said, oh, you're just an optimistic person. Well, guilty is charged. And it's not because I'm looking at some Pollyanna, so I'm like, I'm just going to be happy even when the whole building's on fire. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I want us all to be infected with this morning, can I say that in this era? I, what I want us to be infected with this morning is this, is optimism in the Lord. 
It's seeing your situation, and it may be a five-alarm dumpster fire, and saying, God, I know that you can do something different. God, I know that you're the God of miracles. God, I know that even if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, you're going to give me grace upon grace upon grace to get me through it, to make me stronger, and to position me in a place I wouldn't be otherwise. God, I will refuse to be down in this moment. I, even though I'm feeling down, I refuse to bring you down because I'm going to hook up to you. I'm going to realize that this situation can be different because I want you to know you're a mountain moving God. You're a miracle working God. And despite what happens, my hope's in you. It's a big difference. And yet hope has fallen on hard times. We've used hope as a byword. Like, well, I hope I pass the test. I hope you know, my addiction's over. I hope my marriage gets better. You know, I hope to try on through. I just hope, right? We've said it. We've done it. I hope. It's like our, we've given up. But when you find your heart in the hope of God, hope takes on a different meaning, doesn't it? It's like, I have hope that my marriage will get better. I have hope that I can get through this class. I have hope that my addictions can finally be broken. I have hope that the situation and the adversities that I have been facing, they will be done and behind me. And even if they don't, I still got hope that I know I will get through it. Big difference, church, right? Do not use hope as a byword. Use hope as a promise that, God, you are at work before me, and I'm going to join you in it. But the enemy wants you to think otherwise. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But God gives us the promise in Romans 8, 38, for I am persecuted, that neither, so I'm persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, no depth, no other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. And I love the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. This is the hope that's in reserve for us. And you'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed. The enemy wants you to think that you are defeated and destroyed, but nothing can separate you from the love of God. And our hope on reserve is this. All the pain you're experiencing now will be done away with. Amen? Take it in, church. Man, I, I'm going to tell you this right now. This should get you excited. It should put a new, new, new flair to your step. And people should say, what happened? Because I realized I have, for the first time, I've been going to church for a while, maybe some of you. I, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus maybe uh, years ago for some of you. Some of you haven't. But you realize today the hope that you actually have. It's unshakable. Hope doesn't try to change the past. It doesn't deny feelings in the present. Hope is forward thinking with the confidence and the unchanging person of Jesus. So let's find our rising hope this week. Here you go. I want you to identify four things. Where do you have fear that needs replaced with focus on Jesus? Where do you have fear that needs replaced with focus on Jesus? So snap a picture or take a note there. Second, where do you feel hopeless that needs renewed prayer? Basically, where have you given up? What have you given up praying for? Start praying for it again. Number three, where are you holding on instead of holding loose? You know, when we feel hopeless, we begin to try to take control of every area of our life. What do you need to hold loosely before the Lord this morning? And fourth, sometimes when we know that we're hopeless, we'll look for every place. It's the wrong place, but look for every place to find our joy, our hope, and our satisfaction. And you know what? It may work for a time, but eventually you'll sink. Where are you finding hope in the wrong places instead of God's promises? Be real with that.
Be real with that. Let me say one more thing. The biggest tragedy in church is that people are determined to stay the same. God wants willing participants to receive the grace and mercy that he's willfully giving to you right now. So Father, I pray there be a rising level of hope in this place today. God, I pray the day that there would be a rising level of hope in ways that people finally are seeing the light, the fog of the circumstances are being cut. Lord, I pray today uh, that you will give, you'll give vision of who you are for the first time. I pray for anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you as Savior. In fact, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, just listen to me. For some of you in this room right now, you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. You've never made it personal. Oh, yes, you've gone to church before, or maybe once with grandma, or maybe you've gone through catechism or whatever it is, but you've never made it personal. You never said, Jesus, I need you to be my personal Savior. I need you to be my master. I need you, I need, I want to place my faith and trust in you alone right now. You're placing your full faith that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, that he rose from the dead. You've never made it personal, and he's saying, you know what, today's the day. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, if you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus alone, if you want that relationship with him where your sins are no longer counted against you, you see, without Jesus, you are separated from God. He's distant. You're unforgiven. You won't spend eternity in heaven. But Jesus Christ came to bridge that. Dying on the cross, he paid for all of your sins. He rose from the dead, and when you place your faith and trust in him alone, you're forgiven. If you want Jesus today, if you want the forgiveness of Jesus, we just indicate that today with every head's bowed and eyes closed. Just slip up your hand up high and say, yeah, I want Jesus. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. I want to, I want to say yes to him today. I want to make it personal. Thank you. So, Father, I pray today that we no longer treat you as distant but close. Father, I pray today for those that have sinking levels of hope that God, today they would find their rising levels of hope in you. We love you, Lord. We thank you what you're doing in this place and in these lives in this room. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week on the Emmanuel Kenosha Church podcast.